All right, good morning, guys. It's good to see everyone here today. I'm excited to be here teaching this morning and delivering God's Word to us. We're picking up in, in Romans chapter 8, where Weston left off. So if you have a copy of God's Word, you can join me in Romans chapter 8, or we also have the Scripture here on the screen, and we will read this to begin. So beginning Romans 8, verses 12 through 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So we're continuing our study today in Romans. Um, Weston taught on the first 11 verses last week. And as a recap from previous week, Paul explains how we are separated from God, how we are in need of a Savior and we are living under, the, under God's wrath. Paul explains how um, Jesus is the Savior who God used as the propitiation for our sins, and that, and we, we looked at justification. We learned that we are justified by grace through faith. That is, when God looks at us, He sees Christ's own righteousness imputed to us, imputed to our account. We learned about um, how God is continually sanctifying us. That is, we are growing in spiritual maturity towards Christ's likeness. In chapter 8, what we begin to see are the multiple works of the Holy Spirit. How the Holy Spirit moves in and through our lives. He has set us free from slavery, slavery of the law, but enables us to fulfill its requirements. We are to live each day in the Spirit, setting our minds on God's desires. The Spirit lives in us and gives our spirit life. Last week, our, our text in verse 5, it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So, so how can we practice setting our minds on things of the Spirit? What does that mean? Well, last week, Weston hit on three main ways that we can do that. And I just want to highlight those three main ways real quick that he talk, talked on. One was reduce or eliminate flesh-centered inputs. So he said, stop spending hours of your day giving yourself over to something that will not point you towards Christ. Second was practice self-denial. We serve a Savior who modeled for us a life of intentional fasting, silence, and solitude. And not because these things are virtuous in and of themselves, but because He filled those spaces with prayer, meditation, and connection 
with the Father. We are to practice these things as well. And then third, he mentioned get serious about prayer. The way of the Spirit is not a life with prayer, but a life of prayer. By doing this, you are developing a habit of setting your mind on the Spirit. Today, as we walk through verses 12 through 17, we will see that God's Spirit living in us produces an obligation to live in the way of the Spirit. That by living according to the Spirit, we are able to put to death the deeds of the body. We have become adopted sons and daughters of God and are heirs with Christ, with God Himself as the foretaste of our inheritance. So last week, uh, we ended with Paul saying in verse 11, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So if we have the Spirit of God, and I emphasize then, then we will have life in our mortal bodies. This is a consequence of the Spirit of God dwelling in us. So first we have life, and as we move into chapter or verse 12 today, we see that we have an obligation. We are debtors. So let's begin with verse 12, and we're just going to walk through this verse by verse, and I'll explain as we move forward through this text. Verse 12 says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to live, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. So here we see that a consequence of the Spirit dwelling in us is we have an obligation. We are obliged not to live according to the flesh. It has no power over us. It has no hold on us any longer. We owe it nothing. We owe our flesh nothing. But rather our obligation is to live according to the Spirit and God's desires and His commands. As we move into 13 and 14, it says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Here we see that living according to the flesh will bring about death. But living by the Spirit, we put to death the deeds of the body, and then we will live. We must keep our minds in tune with the Spirit and allow the Spirit of God to lead and guide us through sanctification. Colossians 3, 5-6 through 6 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetedness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Another great reference just to help us contrast the works of the flesh and the works of the Spirit is Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 25. If you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn there because it's it's a long text. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 25. Galatians chapter 5. I don't have it on the screen, but Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 25. So again, this gives us a better understanding of what it means to walk in the flesh versus in the Spirit. 
But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify these desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So here we see a clear contrast between the works of the flesh and the works of the Spirit. And at the end of verse 14 in our text today, we see the phrase sons of God. Note this is also daughters, so ladies, you're not left out. By walking in the Spirit, we are literally children of God, just as many of us have children. We become a child of God through adoption, through new birth. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive Him, who believe in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So we're going to look at this in more depth in just a few moments. And then in verse 15, it says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So we're continuing to see the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. This is a continuing theme, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. We are no longer slaves to sin, but rather we are adopted into God's family as His children. This idea of adoption is not quite the same as modern-day adoption as we know it. It's very similar and still a good analogy, but perhaps a better understanding of adoption is for us to look at the Greco-Roman culture. F.F. Bruce writes, and just listen intently to, to these words. I think this is a really good summary of understanding our context. So he writes, The term adoption may have a somewhat artificial sound in our ears, but in the Roman world of the first century A.D., an adopted son was a son deliberately chosen by his adoptive father to perpetrate his name and inherit his estate. So, so hear that. A son deliberately chosen by his adoptive father to perpetrate his name and inherit his estate. He was no wit, or, or another word, iota, not in the smallest degree inferior 
to a son born in the ordinary course of nature and might well enjoy the father's affection more fully and reproduce the father's character more worthily. So that last part, might well enjoy the father's affection more fully and reproduce the character, the father's character more worthily. When we understand adoption from this perspective, it heightens our awareness of the significance of being a son or daughter of God. Further, being adopted into the family of God, we cry, Abba, Father. So in my studies as I um, read this, about the phrase, Abba, Father, I came across a really good description. I'm just going to read that description because it, I think it says it perfectly. It says, in Scripture, there are many different names used to describe God. While all the names of God are important in many ways, the name Abba Father is one of the most significant names of God in understanding how He relates to people. The word is an Aramaic word that means Father. It was a common term that expressed affection and confidence and trust. Abba signifies the close, intimate relationship of a father and his child as well as the childlike trust that a young child puts in his daddy. Abba was an everyday word. No Jew would ever address God in this manner. But Jesus uses it several times in Scripture. Ultimately, by using this term, we are emphasizing the fatherhood of God and embracing God as our Father and we, His children. And then verses 16 and 17 say, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. So here we have the witness of the Holy Spirit, Spirit which gives our spirit as Christians the assurance that we are children of God. And more than that, if we are His children, then we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14 say, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. So what does this mean to be an heir of God and an heir with Christ? Well, there are two possible meanings of which could be a both-and situation. 1 Peter 1, 3, 5 says, Blessed be the Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy... He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and, and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So again, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. But it's also possible 
God plans to bestow on us himself. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 73, 25 and 26, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And in Deuteronomy 18.2, we see this in reference to the Levites. It says, They shall have no inheritance among their brothers. The Lord is their inheritance, as He promised them. So God being the inheritance would not be anything new to Paul's listeners in this context. Guys, this is exciting for us to hear. What more could we ask for than God Himself? There is nothing more pleasurable, nothing more satisfying, nothing, period, better than God Himself. Yeah, it's great that that we have an inheritance in heaven, but there is nothing better for us than God to give us Himself. It is in the presence of God that we find the pinnacle of our satisfaction and the purpose of our existence. And lastly, through Christ we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with Him. Those who are children of God will persevere to the end. We will endure and fight the good fight. In Acts, just after Paul was stoned in Lystria, he continued to preach the gospel and spread the good news. In Acts chapter 14, verses 21 and 22 says this, When they had preached the gospel to that city... And had made many disciples, they returned to Lystria and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Guys, it is through suffering that we join Christ. We are not guaranteed an easy, comfortable road. The gospel is not the American dream. To the contrary, it's the opposite. Completely opposite. So to close, as we, we ponder our text this morning, our goal is to live by the Spirit. So how do we live by the Spirit, being in tune with God? What does this mean from a practical standpoint? Well, in Galatians 5, and 23, we read, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So notice this says that the fruit of the Spirit, meaning the result of walking in the Spirit. So to judge our own actions, we can look at the fruits of the Spirit. Some studies show that we make 35,000 decisions each day. Obviously, some of these are small, even unconscious, subconscious decisions. But many will impact our mood and affect our ability to see these fruits of the Spirit in our life. There's a high correlation between the effects of our decision-making and walking in the Spirit. In other words, these two, they go hand in hand. 
So keeping the mission of God in the forefronts of our minds help us, helps us to walk daily in the Spirit. We've all heard the expressions, you are what you eat, or guilty by association, but these are just simple expressions that show, in principle, your inputs drive your outputs. So again, in principle, your inputs drive your outputs. So the spiritual inputs in your life will drive your spiritual outputs. That is the goal of your outputs being these fruits of the Spirit that we just looked at in Galatians. So in this line of thought, I want to close with four ways we can remain practicing being in the Spirit. And in many ways, what we've talked about today is just a continuation from last week. Remaining in the Spirit. Remaining in what God wants. His desires. His commands. How can we do that? What's practical? Well, first, remain in the Word. Feed on the Word of God daily. This doesn't have to be the structured full hour, two hours, whatever, set aside. Just feed on the Word as you would snack on everyday snacks for your body. This input is readily accessible to us today. And in many ways, we, we take this for granted. It wasn't too long ago Scripture actually became available for all. So let's remain in the Word. And second, a life of prayer. So just as Weston mentioned last week, our goal is not to have a life with prayer, but a life of prayer. I would encourage you to practice multiple forms of prayer. And if you, if you need help learning how to pray or understanding multiple types of prayer, I encourage you, please reach out to me or Weston and let us begin a relationship where we guide you through different types of prayer and structured prayer. It can radically change your life. Third is practice self-denial. Again, Weston spoke on this last week. And those, those good habits are intentional fasting, silence, and solitude. These are all things that Jesus modeled for us and that we can also practice ourselves on a weekly basis. And then four, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. In this line of thought, we must spend time together. So it's in our formal gatherings on Sunday that we begin to sharpen one another, but it's also in the less informal ways throughout the week where we're interacting with one another. I encourage you guys to interact with each other and with other brothers and sisters in Christ so that we can sharpen one another. So remain in the Word, pray, practice self-denial, and gather with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Let us keep in step with the Spirit so that we put the deeds of the body to death. And remember that we are heirs with Christ, heirs of God. Guys, again, this is just amazing to think about. The inheritance that we have set aside, but also the fact that we get God as part of our inheritance, as a foretaste of that. He is the pinnacle of our satisfaction. I hope that you find rest and peace in Him this week in walking through these, these practical steps to drawing closer to our great God. So with that, let's pray.
Father, we thank you for allowing us to come here this morning to gather in person. As many years we have certainly, certainly taken that for granted. God, thank you so much for your spirit and the work that your spirit does in and through our lives. God, that we, the fact that we are adopted sons and daughters of, of you, Lord, help us to grasp that so, that so that we may bear your image well and that we may delight in your presence through this adoption. God, be with us this week as we engage our friends, our families, our colleagues, and our coworkers. Help us to remain in you so that your great name will be made known. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.